Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we're coming to you for the first time this season on a Monday. And our timing for having a Monday show was good as the Orioles announced several promotions throughout the farm system today, highlighted by the jump that Kevin Smith is making from AA Bowie to AAA Norfolk. Uh, we're going to run down those transactions for you as well as the performance of Jemai Jones since he returned from injury. And we're going to bring up the question that I think has been there for a while, which is when is he finally going to be starting at second base in the major leagues? We're also going to take some listener questions, discuss whether or not we see Tyler Wells moving from the bullpen and joining the rotation at the major league level, and wrapping the show up with our new segment, highlighting players outside of our top 30 prospects list. That will be on tonight's episode, but first... On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. Um, the Orioles announced several transactions on Monday that affect the minor league system. Uh, Kevin Smith is making the move from AA Bowie to AAA Norfolk. And if you've been listening to our show over the last few weeks, you know this does not come as a surprise to us as a left-hander had gotten off to an excellent start at Bowie. Uh, through six games in AA, Smith had a 104 ERA with 37 strikeouts across 26 innings while walking 10 batters. Uh, we've seen several players make the move recently to Bowie, so it seemed like a matter of time before we saw someone, particularly in that pitching staff, make the jump from Bowie to Norfolk after Kyle Bradis did a few weeks ago. Smith looks like the most logical guy, and he's now making that move. And this comes, I think, as you know, a present uh, outcome for the Orioles in Smith's development as they brought him over in the trade last year as the Mets uh, in exchange for Miguel Castro. So Smith, uh, not a big surprise that he gets promoted to AAA, but I'll start with you, Nick. What did you think of how he pitched at AA, and what are you looking forward to seeing out of him at AAA? I thought this was, I mean, we called it pretty much our last show that I think he had thrown a couple more scoreless innings before we finished that episode. And, and we assumed that was probably going to be his last start in Norfolk. I and mean, it's a well-deserved promotion. Um, we all thought, I think that he was probably going to begin the season at AAA, but if you really look at his numbers, like he really didn't have that many innings when he was with the Mets, they moved him pretty quickly. He was a, he's out of Georgia. So he's an sec pitcher. So you understand why I think he was like their 2019 minor league pitcher of the year as well. So uh, you see why they moved him so quickly, but joining a new organization, we know the Orioles are are the hot place to, to raise pitching prospects now. So starting him in Bowie, 
Uh, it's, it's good. It's a good idea, I think, and it's paid off. Uh, you mentioned his numbers there. The 1.04 ERA, 1.08 WHIP, were fantastic. I love the slider. I love the changeup. His stuff just looks impossible to barrel up. Um, huge ground ball numbers as well. I'm excited to see him. I, I know that now that we've seen him live a couple times or on MILB TV a couple times. Um, I think he's going to move up our rankings when we do our re-rank in the top 30. Uh, I know he's definitely moved a lot up my personal list, but you know, I know a lot of people like to bag on the Norfolk Ties and the way they're playing, but they've been playing well recently, the, the month of June, and now they have Kyle Bradish and they have Kevin Smith in that rotation. Maybe they have a, a catcher behind the plate uh, by the name of Valley Rutschman in a few weeks. We'll see. But I think things are looking up at Harbor Park, and I'm super happy for Kevin Smith because – this, this is a guy that I'm putting ahead of Zach Lothar, honestly. I'm probably putting ahead of Alex Wells. That He's that kind of prospect, I think, in the system now. Yeah, I completely agree. And before I go into Kevin Smith, I would like to say I've noticed we have the most live listeners we've had by far. So moving to Mondays must have been a good choice. And uh, if you have any questions for us to answer, go ahead and ask them, and we'll, we'll read them and we'll answer them. But, uh, yeah, Kevin Smith completely agree with everything that Nick said. He – we heard when we had Eric Longin hanging on that he was having trouble with his slider, I think, placing it um, in the front foot of righties and away from lefties, if I recall correctly. And maybe that's why they started him at double A to just try to hone that out. And clearly he has, or it just doesn't matter for double A hitters because he was just absolutely dominant. So I predicted he would be a triple A Norfolk to start. So I'm glad to see him get there only like six weeks into the season. And now that triple A rotation that, was kind of just piecemealed together with a bunch of minor league signings and guys who were getting inconsistent work or and off to slow starts. It's now it's really starting to come together. It's going to be exciting every night out for the most part. So I'm excited to see what he can do. And I agree. He, for me, he's above Lothar and Zimmerman. And well, maybe not Zimmerman. Zimmerman's been doing pretty good at the major league level right now. But the Wells, those lefties, he's he's got to be at the top of that list for me right now as well. You know, if you had to nitpick something about the way Smith pits at Bowie, it would be the walk rate. Three and a half uh, per nine walks uh, in his time there, which is okay, but not great. But when you look at his individual outings, that's really driven up by his second start against Redding. He walked four batters in three and two-thirds innings. In his three most recent starts, two batters in four innings against Harrisburg, one against uh, Hartford in four innings of relief work, Zero last week against Binghamton over five innings of work. So really, if you take that one outing out of the equation, Smith's walk numbers look pretty good. As Nick mentioned, generating a lot of ground balls, strikeouts were there. So to my way of thinking, he hits brilliantly at Bowie, and this promotion is well-earned. Oh, 100% earned, yeah. Definitely earned every minute of it. I don't know if that makes sense, but he earned it for sure. Yeah, that whole staff, I mean, really the whole entire Bowie roster is just phenomenal this season. The best team in minor league baseball. But um, the pitching staff in particular, I, I know Ophelke Peralta's last outing was a little disappointing, uh, especially after it seemed like he was starting to get a little bit more hype, Steve Molesky writing about him. That was disappointing to see. But a guy like Kevin Smith just got better and better. These guys are progressing. And, yeah, the walks are an issue. But, I mean, we've seen Dale Hall – he walked four guys his last outing. I, I didn't know that. That's not exactly proving my point there either. But oh, on the season, DL Hall is walking batters at a lower clip. Um, this pitching staff as a whole is doing a fantastic job. I think I feel like I mentioned his name on every podcast, but Justin Ramsey, that pitching coach at Bowie, is doing something extremely well. 
Uh, I don't know what exactly it is, but uh, he needs to keep doing it. Maybe they need to move him up <laughs> as well. He, he's earned himself a promotion in the next few years as well. But this whole player development staff, I think this is just another testament uh, to what they're doing down there. So several other transactions uh, took place today, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Greg Collin is going from Delmarva to Bowie um, after getting off the injured list and hitting really well at Delmarva. So he'll make the jump to Bowie. Gene Carmona, a trade that you, a name that you may remember from the Jonathan Scope trade back in 2018, will now be heading to Delmarva as he gets promoted to take Collins' place. Um, Rock Cabato also tweeted today that Yusniel Diaz will be rehabbing with Bowie this week, so a good sign as the outfielder wakes, makes his way back from the injured list. And catcher Nick Sufo will be joining Norfolk as well. So Sufo, a guy that I know we were intrigued by a little bit coming into the season as a former first-round pick, broke his hand back in April but is apparently recovered now and will be joining Norfolk soon. So just rattle, looking at that list of moves, which one in particular stands out? And I'll start with Bob on this. It's got to be Gene Carmona. He was the cause of much consternation when we did our roster reveal. Where is Gene Carmona? The chants from the crowd were coming in loud and clear. No, uh, I'm glad to see him show up, but he's, I liked him at the time of the trade. When we got him, he was young. He was an infielder. He looked like he had promise, but it's just never really bearing out so far for the Orioles. And, I guess this is going to be one of his last few chances here uh, as the international guys catch up to him and all, obviously all the infielders we already have. Um, Greg Cullen, I think I predicted he would either start at high Aberdeen or double-A Bowie, and then when he wasn't on the rosters to start, it was kind of confusing, came out he was hurt. So I know it's unfortunate that he's going to be there because of Joey Ortiz having a little bit of an injury, but it'll be interesting to see what he does. He um, He had a good on base percentage, nice walk rate with Delmarva in the short time he was there. So that's good. And Yusniel Diaz, of course, we want to see him on the field. If he's on the field, you know he's going to get a promotion. He would have had that Ryan McKenna spot earlier in the season, I feel like. So get him healthy. I'm sure he'll do a week at Bowie and then get back to Norfolk. And then let's see, it's an Austin Hayes hamstring tweak away from his big league debut. So all good news. Yeah, I'm just really concerned about – Greg Cullen moving up is what I'm most concerned about. I, I feel happy for him. It's great. He's skipping a level. He's going up to Bowie, that, that hot roster, that whole culture, I think. Um, but it, it, the thing that scares me is, is Joey Ortiz going to IL? And I've checked Bowie's roster a couple of times today. I'm not going to lie to see if they've made any updates, which they haven't yet. But he hurt himself late in Saturday's game, didn't play Sunday. He was in pain uh, Saturday after he took that hack. So I don't know if it was the oblique or shoulder or what it was, but he was in obvious pain. Uh, so hopefully he's okay. He gets back soon. But you mentioned the on-base percentage. I think it's over like 450. It's something ridiculous. It was Delmarva for Greg Collins. So that's cool to see considering he was like the second piece to the Tommy Malone deal. And I don't know if Tommy Malone is still alive right now. So there we go. Um, Gene Carmona. Yeah. Like I don't, I find it difficult to get excited about Gene Carmona at this point. Like he struggled to get on base. He hasn't hit for much average. He's shown literally zero power, I think, since coming over from Milwaukee. I think he has no home runs. Uh, but he is still just 21. So, I mean, um, when he was in Aberdeen in 2019, I looked, I think he was about three years younger than the competition. So that could play a role in it as well. But the glove's always been fun. But I, I'm just personally not so excited about the bat. So I'm throwing out the challenge for him to prove me wrong, I guess. And, and yeah, Diaz, just, just freaking stay healthy. I'm so tired of the main Machado takes trade takes coming up like every three months on, on the line. Just stay healthy, please. 
Yeah, we see we have a listener question here, which we'll get to in a minute. But Diaz just has to stay healthy. And you get the sense, I, I kind of agree with Bob, that if Diaz had been healthy, he probably would be in the major leagues by now. Even if he had only been hitting about 240 at Norfolk, I think they would have given him an opportunity if he had been healthy at some point. Because for as good as the Orioles outfield is when they're all on the field, they haven't all been on the field that much this season. So outside of Cedric Mullins, you've had either some inconsistencies with guys like Hayes and Mountcastle or injury concerns with Hayes and Anthony Santander. So Diaz just needs to put together a healthy, this is a hunt, a healthy three or four weeks at Norfolk gets Diaz to the majors. I, I really believe that. Yeah, I have the same kind of feeling. I think Santander is probably not long for the Orioles world. But even if everyone is still around, between the injuries and it's been a struggle for the Orioles offense, I think they'll find a way to get him up regardless. Like you said, if you can just stay healthy for like a month. Yeah, and going to um, the discussion about Carmona for a moment, you know, he has kind of become a little bit of an afterthought. Part of it is that the last time we saw him on the field was at Aberdeen where he struggled, but then we've also had the pandemic where he lost a whole year. Um, the Orioles have added a lot of infield depth over the last 18 months, and that kind of puts a squeeze on him a little bit. He's going to have to put together good numbers at Delmarva. Um, I've kind of become convinced that the value in the scope trade was that Jonathan VR was better than Jonathan scope was. That deal worked out terribly for the Brewers. They non-tendered scope after the 2018 season. I've become convinced that that was the win for the Orioles, was that Jonathan scope played so bad after he went to Milwaukee that he would not have been tradable after the 2018 season, and that VR played so well for them in 2019, they were able to flip him to get Easton Lucas. You know, and we'll see what he produces. But you know, maybe Carmona, if he with an everyday opportunity, uh, proves himself at Del Marva and kind of gets back on our radar a little bit. And Luis Ortiz is—he uh, was just entered as our 30th prospect. So great trade there. <laughs> Not that Luis Ortiz. Oh. <laughs> no. um, yeah, I mean, and you could point to like Joey Ortiz as well. This is a, a light hitting shortstop, defensive minded shortstop who now, you know, Matt Blood's words are coming true. You know, watch this guy, his offensive profile. And he has a couple home runs in Bowie. He's hitting the ball well. A couple of plays he's had. His, that defensive play he had on Saturday in Bowie was, or uh, where they're in Binghamton now. That play he had on Saturday was fantastic. I watched it a thousand times. Um, I, Carmona is not Joey Ortiz, but you know, based off what we're seeing in these lower minors and a lot of these guys, I'm going to give Carmona another chance at least. So we'll have more listener questions later in the show, but we want to get to this one now. It just came in on our live stream, and this comes from uh, Simkin Tribute on YouTube. Is there any concern that Bowie is not developing a closer? The piggybacking of Gray Fenter over the weekend into the ninth inning instead of a closer cost Bowie the game. Uh, I think okay, – sorry, Nick. I was just going to say I think they're developing a closer by the name of Shelton Perkins. He'll be there in a year or two, and he'll take over and shut down the door. Yeah, shout-out Shelton Perkins, my guy. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to go back and look at this today, actually. Monday is usually a day where I can like kind of go back and reset, and I love having these Monday off days, actually. I know it's kind of like a 
there's no game. So maybe like a staggered schedule will work a little bit better. But um, having this Monday off day is a perfect time to just kind of reset. And I love the six-game schedules as well, but that's a whole other discussion. But as far as the closer, I mean, that whole closer distinction, I think is kind of teams are kind of moving away that away from that maybe a little bit. Um, you're going to find somebody at the major league level once you get there. But with Fenter specifically, I wanted to go back and look at this, and maybe I'll do it tomorrow, is that it seems like, this is just a hunch I have, that Fenter's numbers overall look bad. I almost texted you guys on our group chat the other day when he came in, and I was like, Fenter can be released tomorrow, and I, I wouldn't really care, to be totally honest. Like, he looks that bad. But I, I feel like, his first inning when he comes in is when he gives up all of his runs and all the damage gets done against him. And then he's lights out the next two, three innings because they keep him for three, four cents at a time. I want to go back and look at the game logs and check on that, but that seems to be his kind of pattern. So I don't know what exactly is going on there, but yeah, I feel like maybe Tyler Irwin could have been the closer. He was the closer last year, um, but he's also struggled as well. So I don't really know what's going on in the back end of that bullpen. Yeah. yeah. So I actually have Fenter's numbers from his most recent outing up here, and it was a game that actually did end in a win for Bowie. But Fenter pitched three and two-thirds innings, allowed three runs, walked four, struck out four, and had one of those outings where he was credited with both a blown save and a win. And now keep in mind you can get a blown save coming in before the ninth, which is the case with Fenter. But that's, you know, something of a nuts like that's kind of his performance line in a bit of a nutshell this year um he's had a few outings there where it's been four innings four runs uh his most recent outing before the uh game against binghamton on the 12th was four and two-thirds innings six hits six runs all earned two walks five strikeouts he's getting the strikeouts but he's also walking a lot of batters and giving up a lot of runs yeah, it's super weird. You would think being picked in the Rule 5 draft, getting spent some time in the Cubs spring training camp, that maybe he would come into the minor league season like geared up and ready to go, but maybe he's having a letdown that he didn't make the team, or I don't know what's going on because I thought at the very least he'd be like a good relief prospect, but especially if he's giving up all his runs in his first inning of work, that's not going to cut it. And it, it is strange how Billy is such a great team probably the best team in minor league baseball but their bullpen is definitely the weak point i know they're piggybacking starters so you know like what was it last night uh yeah yesterday bauman started and then bishop finished the last five innings so they don't really need that shutdown reliever but it is strange how there's really no relief prospects i feel like aberdeen and delmarva are filled with the guys that could end up being decent relievers in the majors so it's a interesting question pointing out a particular nugget from the billy bay Sox roster I will say, though, that I forgot. I just looked at that roster real quick to see if maybe there's someone else. And Irwin struggled, so I think he's out of the picture there. But um, it was going to be Nick Vespi. He was the late inning guy, the ninth inning guy. Uh, and he was performing really well. Huge strikeout numbers, um, huge swinging strike numbers as well. Some of the top numbers in the entire organization through that first, like, two weeks or so of the season. But then he's been on the seven-day IL for a couple weeks now. And I think I've said before, like the seven-day IL in the minor leagues, that could be just a shoulder tweak, a, a hamstring grab, or it could be like he had Tommy John surgery. Like we have no idea. Um, like there's just that seven-day IL is just really arbitrary in the minor leagues. So that's that's the guy they wanted. But I think since he's got hurt, there, there's a question. Yeah, he, he's hurt. We don't know exactly what. But yeah, um, hopefully he comes back soon because he was he was dominating his first few outings. Yeah. Sure. And I, 
I think that question also does sort of speak, as we talked about a little bit ago, to kind of the development strategy that's going on, not just in the Orioles system, but in a lot of systems now, piggybacking pitchers, especially at the upper level. So that would be one of the reasons, I would say, too, why you're not going to always see a true closer at the upper levels. Yep. So the player that is has been on our radar for a while now and is now firmly back on it because he's healthy and producing is Jemiah Jones. Uh, Jones came off the DIL at Norfolk on June 8th or returned to Norfolk on June 8th after missing about a month of the le- strain left oblique. So far with, in AAA, he's hitting 263 with a 975 OPS, and he has walked nearly as many times as he He's actually walked more than he has struck out. Seven walks compared to six strikeouts. Bob wrote about him in his latest uh, Down on the Farm piece over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, which he can discuss here in a moment in relation to Jones. But with the Orioles continuing to struggle at second base at the major league level, the guy that we have thought all along would be the first one out in the minors to get a shot is Jones. The injury obviously delayed that a little bit, but now he's back and healthy and so far producing really well. So, Bob, is it time to really seriously consider bringing him up? And in writing your piece, what have you kind of noticed from his numbers? He came off the injured list with Aberdeen and just killed the ball. Obviously, it's high A, so he should do that. But he came out on fire just like he did in the regular minor league season. And then the last week, he just continued to hit the ball hard all over the field. I mean, he's walking. He's not striking out. I think he's got like an 11% strikeout rate. He's making dive and catches in at second base. Like the time is now. I think stop messing around. Send Pat Vileka down. Bring up Jemai Jones, DFA Stevie Wilkerson, and bring up Domingo Leba, who we're talking about in a second. But these guys are performing and they're healthy and they're on the forty man. So let's do this. It's it's middle of June. There's only three and a half more months of the season. We want to see him. Get as much time this year at the major league level as possible. See what we got for next year and if he's going to be the starting second baseman or a utility guy. So I, I think he's ready. Maybe they want to give him another week just to prove that he can stay healthy. I'm not sure exactly their reasoning, but I say do it. Yeah. 13 games this season, 10 with Norfolk, 3 with Aberdeen. You mentioned some of the numbers. 304 average, 400 on base percentage. Eight of his 14 hits have actually gone for extra bases. Um, he's got three home runs. He had a line drive rocket the other day. I, I wish we had like exit velo data and all the good data. Um, but you know, more walks and strikeouts, like sample size, blah, 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 whatever. Like the defense, everyone always asks every time we put a clip out or tweet about him, it's how is the defense? Like, do you watch the Major League Orioles? I, I don't. So like you have to tell me. I'm going to tell you without watching the Major League Orioles, his defense is better than any option they're rolling out there. Like. I, I looked, you know, my wife and I talked about going to Camden Yards for Father's Day, but I said I'd rather not end up going to a Matt Harvey start with a 20-month-old who refuses to sit for more than 2.3 seconds. Um, so I'm going to actually have fun that day. But um, I decided to look up some major league numbers, and through all the cringing, like, Pat Falega's bad. Stevie Wilkerson is, is even worse. Ruiz, Rio Ruiz went Scott Garcia there for a second. <laughs> oh, no. Um <laughs> He's in like the wastelands of Colorado's organization now. He's he's gone forever. Um, yep. Ramon Arias is you know an average AAA hitter with Norfolk. Like, what else is there? I mean, I know Michael I said earlier at the beginning of the season that uh, he wanted to see more consistency on the defensive side of the ball with guys like Bannon and Jones. Bannon's with the oblique, so he's out for a while. But 
Jones is showing it. I mean, he's flashing the glove there. I mean, bring him up. We've said before, he's not a top prospect. He's probably not a guy, you know, 10 years down the road. Is Jemai Jones going to be the starting second baseman for the Orioles? I don't know. Uh, probably not. Uh, but he's still a really good player. I think he can be that utility guy. And he's going to be fun. He can hit the run. He can steal bases. He's going to give you defensive highlights. He's going to do things that Pat Flake and Stevie Wilkerson cannot do at the major league level. So bring him up. I'm, I'm fine with that. And he's got a little bit of personality, which the Orioles certainly yes. lack at the moment. So. Yes. You know, it's hard to quantify defense at the minor league level because we just really don't have the data to go with it. We have to go off of highlights, whatever little bit of scouting report info that's floating around out there is really what we have to rely on. But what we do know about Jones, based on pretty much every scouting report that's been out there since he entered the Angels minor league system out of the drafts a few years ago, is how that he's a very athletic prospect. And you just have to think that he will take the second base with enough reps and that even if he doesn't, as Nick said, you've got a good utility guy on your hands. You can put him in left field. You can put him in center field. There's enough athleticism there, and there's enough there with the bat, in my mind. The Orioles need to give him an extended run at second base, even if they don't promote him today. Get him up there, I would say, no later than the all-star break if he's healthy. Let him have a run at the major league level over the second half and see what he can do. And, you know, that also would open the door possibly for Taron Vavra to go to Norfolk, and I, if I'm looking at who's going to be this Orioles second baseman in a couple of years, the first two names to come to mind are those two guys. Yeah, that's what I said. I was going to say the same thing. Like, you bring Jones up too, uh, then you open the door for Taron Vavra to play second base and lead off in AAA, uh, or Kane Grenier as well. I mean, I don't think there's a hotter hitter in this whole system right now than Grenier in AA, so – He's probably a guy that you can easily move up to AAA any day now as well uh, and take that spot for Jones. And Yeah, I think Jones, he's got the major league time with the Angels. I know it's limited, but plenty of AAA time there, outside experience there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, other than show us you can stay healthy for two, three weeks, which is more than a lot of the major league Orioles can do, then I don't know what else really you're waiting for to bring up Jamai Jones, but he's hot and he's staying hot. Unless because of that major league time that he got, they're trying to play game around the Super Two or the, you know, the extra year. I don't know. That seems a little bit much, but you never know with this regime. But the rebuild, not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> so another player that Bob mentioned his down the farm piece over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com is Domingo Leba, a recent waiver claim from the Arizona Diamondbacks who has gotten some major league time in Arizona over the last three se- over the last uh, two seasons, 2019 and 2021, he appeared in games with them, um, has been down at Norfolk basically playing a utility role, hitting the cover off the ball. He's already on the 40-man roster. So if you want to look at someone who's not necessarily a top prospect, but a guy that's in the minor leagues that could help this roster out at some point soon, definitely keep an eye on Leba. I mean, he's a switch hitter who mainly plays second base but can play all over the field. Why is he in AAA and Steve Wilkerson's on the Major League team? I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, he's hitting the ball hard. He did, he went hitless in 22 at-bats for the Diamondbacks, but it was spaced over 13 games. How often is he getting in there? I don't know. Very short sample size. My bigger concern would be that he got an 80-game suspension for steroids uh, in the 2020 season. So, But he's still hitting the ball hard. He can't possibly be still using right i mean that would be stupid but i guess we've seen stupider uh more stupid that's me uh yeah so i think he should be up 
yesterday. I, d- I don't understand why Steven Wilkerson is on the, the Baltimore Orioles, but hopefully he gets a chance soon. I think it should be Jones every day at second base with Leba, like just being able to spell Galvis, Jones, Franco all over the infield on getting semi-regular at bets. That's, that's the way I would do it. Yeah, Leba's fun. I mean, I had zero expectations of him when he signed him. Like, I, I looked at the numbers, but it was like, okay, like he's going to hang around AAA. But, I mean, he's fun. And at, at this point, like, that's what we're looking for. Um, he's not a, a prospect. He's not a guy that's going to be in the conversation to be a starter next year. But he's got that little Fernando Tatis Jr.-esque move rounding third base when he hits home runs, which is, of course, cool. You mentioned he plays all four infield positions. I, I want to say I feel like he was like in the starting lineup playing the outfield on Sunday for Norfolk, but their game their game got rained out. But yeah, I mean, also with Arizona, yeah, he went over twenty two, but label the Diamondbacks. I mean, fired. Let me get this out. The Diamondbacks fired both of their hitting coaches at the major league level. So I mean, and they're just not a good team. So. I'm not saying like the Orioles are known for like developing huge hitting prospects up at the major league level, but I mean, I think that speaks volumes of what the Diamondbacks really went. And maybe it just wasn't a good fit. So again, he's not a major piece, but maybe there's something there. Yeah. Leba has played all over the infield in his minor league career, uh, going back to when he first uh, appeared in the Detroit Tigers system in 2013. So this guy has been around a while, but, yeah, he's been at the major league level before. Uh, I Again, I just had to think that if the Orioles are looking for help in that utility role over the next few weeks, Leiva's got to be a name that they look at. Yeah, that was an interesting point there. I actually did, didn't even know that, though, from uh, Vivek, that he was numbers, used to be the number six prospect in the Diamondback system in 2017. So that's kind of like the, the Nick Schufo deal. Um, former first-round picks, former top prospects that, you know, maybe they're, they're – shy their shine isn't as bright anymore but to get help get the Orioles through the 2021 season and maybe act as some reserve pieces in 2022 they're much more intriguing than bringing up some of the pieces we had like two years ago we'd be talking about are the Orioles going to bring up Zach Vinci and I don't think we would have anywhere close to the podcast listeners and Twitter engagement that we do now so that's it's something well, speaking of Twitter engagement, we did put out a call for uh, listener questions before this show, and we got some very good ones back. So we're going to take a few minutes now to get to those, and uh, Nick is going to read them off for us here. Uh, a wide range of questions for sure. Yes, yeah, so some of these we can probably just do like quick hits on, but uh, first one was actually yesterday, not in response to the tweet, but I thought it was a good question uh, from Taylor Westlow. He asked, who is the next pitcher to get promoted to Norfolk? And I responded to his tweet and get said Kevin Smith, uh, of course, and that ended up happening. But uh, who do we think is the next guy to get promoted to Norfolk then after Kevin Smith? If I had to go off of experience and performance right now, I'd take a close look at Cameron Bishop. Uh, he is pitching really well right now. He's gotten some time in the rotation and in the bullpen. I know that D.L. Hall is the name that everybody wants to see, and I do think you see him at AAA at some point, but I also don't think there's much of an incentive to rush him, whereas Bishop is a guy we talked about on the show a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's 25 or 26, a little bit more experience, had a very good year at Del Marva in 2018, then struggled at Frederick in 2019, but has been putting together good numbers at Bowie in 2021. So Bishop is probably a name that I'd give very close consideration to in that case. 
Yeah, that's certainly interesting. But I think just from him bouncing back from that rough, I mean, it wasn't as bad as I initially thought season in 2019 at Frederick. I think they want to give him a little more time. At first, I was thinking D.L. Hall in tandem with Adley in about a month or so, but I'm starting to think maybe Cody Sedlock at his advanced age could find his way up to AAA Norfolk, maybe not as a starter, maybe as like a long relief swingman type thing. Kind of like in the Dylan Tate mold a couple years ago. I think we've talked about that before. So my official pick would be Cody Sedlock in a couple weeks. Yeah, Sedlock was my pick too, just because you mentioned his age. He's about to turn 26, and – I looked at some of his numbers. He only has a 20% strikeout rate and he does have a 3.43 ERA, but it's a 5.06 FIP and the walks are just a nightmare. He has 17 walks and 21 innings. So I know those aren't like numbers that we want to be screaming out and talking about. We're going to promote him to Norfolk soon, but I mean, he is the age is kind of like that sink or swim age. He's a former first round pick. I think all of us had probably completely written him off. I did. I had written him off two years ago. I just didn't think that he could rebound from his injuries, but he has. He was healthy last year or 2019, looked pretty good. And he's only allowed two runs over his last 16 plus innings across his last four outings. So I think he's at least entered himself back into the conversation, at least. So we'll see. But um, names, looking to 2023, a couple of questions all involved like 2023. So I'm, guess, I'm guessing that we're setting 2023 as as the, the gold standard here, the deadline. Um, what is your dream 2023 rotation? I'll say Grayson, all right. Oh, excuse me. Grayson Rodriguez will be the, you know, the ace that we're looking for in this dream world. John means signed freshly signed to an extension, settling it as that number two veteran presence. Then just to keep a right, left, right, left bingo and Kyle Bradish establishes himself as the next Zach Brinke and DL Hall is your best fourth starter in baseball. And then since it's the perfect world, Michael Bauman will be the fifth starter, meaning he's throwing in the upper nineties and he's got his stuff together and he's not the closer. He's the, he's a starting pitcher and could it get any better than that? Probably, but that's my, that's my choice. You know, I actually had Dean Kramer in there, but Bob just made a really compelling argument for Michael Bauman. And so I think I am going to put Bauman in there now. So my rotation would be the same, except that I have Hall as my number three with Braddis fourth and Bauman fifth. But same rotation, just different order. But Dean Kramer hopefully is contributing in a role somewhere, and hopefully Bruce Zimmerman's in there too. And there's yeah. still some arms at the major league level or close that aren't prospects technically anymore that you'd hope are still around then. Yeah, there's a, the fun part about this, though, is there's a big group. Um, I'm going Grayson Rodriguez, one, John Means, two, D.L. Hall, three, Cal Bradish, four. Eric Loggenhagen had an interesting note in his chat the other day on Fangraphs. He says he views Cal Bradish as, as a five-and-dive uh, mid-rotation arm, so – I think considering last year after the Orioles got him, we were talking about, is he a reliever? Um, I think that's a big praise for him. And for my number five in my perfect world, I'm going Drew Rom. I've fallen in love with him again this year. Lefty with some nasty stuff. So why not Drew Rom? But yeah, like Vivek has Kevin Smith. as his number five there in the comments. Um, you have Kramer, Aiken. I like Lothar out of the bullpen. There are a few other names. I didn't. I don't have Bauman there. Like, there's just so many names we could choose from, and it's it's hard to pick five, even if we are in our dream world where we get to pick whatever we want. 
Uh, what about the infield? Looking at the 2023. Oh, and the Dream 2023 rotation was sent in by at uh, GaryThorn18 on Twitter. Give him a follow. Uh, this one was from at BucketZach. Uh, assuming best case scenario for everyone, again, our dream world, what does your 2023 infield look like, including your utility player and backup catcher? I'm assuming, I'm guessing that he assumes that Nick Shufo is going to be the starting catcher in 2023 for the Boston Orioles. <laughs> Um, my dream infield would be Trey Mancini at first, uh, Taron Baverett second, um, a late mid-season arrival perhaps in Jordan Westberg at third, and Gunnar Henderson at short. Um, I know 2023 might be pushing it a little bit, but Gunnar Henderson's OPS at Delmarva I think is like 2,000 now, so uh, maybe that's not out of the realm of possibility. And this is a dream. And then I'll take Jemai Jones as my utility guy. And then my backup catcher is baseball's best bat first backup catcher, Brett Cumberland. All right. All right. I'll go with obviously Adley, a catcher. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle settled in at first base. Taryn Vavra, second base. Gunnar Henderson at shortstop. Jordan Westberg at third. Brett Cumberland will be the backup catcher. And Joey Ortiz will be the utility guy. So I'm going – I couldn't pick. I picked Mountcastle and or Mancini at first base, the other at DH. Uh, Taron Vavra at second base. I have Joey Ortiz at shortstop. That's my prospect crush, so I'm going to stick him there. Uh, Jordan Westbrook at third base for sure. Adley behind the plate. Gunner is a midseason call-up. You know, you got to wait to get that extra year for him. Um, and Kobe Mayo is mashing and booey. He's going to be – we're going to be talking about him when we're still recording an episode like number 200 in 2023. Uh, the backup catcher – is Maverick Hanley. That's going to be my answer until he proves otherwise. And, yeah, utility option is also Jemai Jones for sure there. Uh, maybe Sir Video. We'll see when Jemai Jones gets flipped for a, a pitcher at the deadline when the Orioles are competing. Only if, uh, <laughs> only if you're looking for 150 walks this season. That's true. Um, what's another one here? Uh, we have one from at Hemibombs24 on Twitter. Uh, are Robert Newstrom and Cody Sedlock getting lost in the pack? And we've kind of talked about Sedlock, so I guess maybe uh, Robert Newstrom. What do we think about him and his play so far? I do think he's shown the potential that he can just hit 500-foot bombs and, and you know, maybe he can hit 270-ish with huge power. He doesn't walk a ton, but he's just got to – more consistently get to that power in games, but I I don't think anyone's sleeping on him. I think he is, uh, you know, he's in that lineup at Billy, the best team in baseball. He's everyday outfielder there, and he's not going to be a top thirty prospect right now. Maybe if he taps into the power more often, he could be like a Heston Kerstad type. But uh, I don't think anyone's sleeping on him. But I think there's still a chance that he could be something. Yeah, I agree with Bob. I don't know that anybody's necessarily sleeping on him at this point. Um, and I think that there are reasons to be hopeful with some of his numbers at Bowie. I mean, if you saw the clip of that home run he hit at Hartford a couple of weeks ago, that was impressive. And you know that he can tap into that from time to time. And that's always going to make him intriguing. Um, you know, I think he is lost in the shuffle a little bit um, with the outfield depth at the top of this organization. But like we talked about earlier with Yus Neil Diaz, um, that's going to have a way of sorting itself out here over the next few months. And if Newstrom hits at Bowie, maybe he is kind of in that conversation. Yeah, he definitely came out to get slow, but he's hitting almost 300 with like a 360 on base percentage in June. So, um, and it all started 
with that 470 something foot blast he had in Hartford, which was the most impressive home run I watched this year until Jesus Sanchez. I think that's who it was for Jacksonville hit a 508 foot bomb off Kyle Bradish. Sorry, Bradish. We love you, but I I loved that home run. Um, he, he knew that curveball was coming and he cranked it. Um, uh, brings uh, five and dive a whole new meaning. He was really diving. Yeah. Um, sorry, Kyle. We, we still love you. Um, but yeah, with Newstrom, like I'm, if you look at Norfolk's roster, even if it gets promoted later on, and let's say Diaz is still in AAA, um, you got Diaz and McKenna. They're so up and down. I think you've got Zach Jarrett is also is playing pretty well, but I think even if Newstrom gets promoted, he can like split time with Zach Jarrett, maybe DH, because I prefer Newstrom over Ryan Ripken at DH or JC Encarnacion, who's still there. I prefer Newstrom over both of those guys. So I don't see him getting lost in the shuffle, and there's still plenty of time um, there. But um, I guess we can – well, let's do this one real quick before we get to Vivek's question because we also had someone else ask about Rule 5 guys. But uh, do you see Mason McCoy in the majors this season at all? We've talked about him a lot, but now that we're a month or so into the season, has anything changed about Mason McCoy? Yeah, the offense is coming back down to earth a little bit, and I know Bob wrote about this, and he can get more into that in a minute. But the you know his offensive numbers have fallen off here in the last couple of weeks. We mentioned Domingo Leyva. You have Jemai Jones there now. So I don't think it's at all impossible that McCoy gets to the major leagues this year. When you look at the Orioles' depth at their major league, on the, at the major league level, and you still have to keep in mind the possibility of a Freddie Galvis trade at the deadline, which opens up one more spot. So I won't say it's impossible that McCoy gets there, but he's slipping from the pack a little bit here with his offensive drop-off in the last couple of weeks. And, Jones getting back on the field. Yeah, I unfortunately do not think he's going to hit the major leagues this year. I think he had his shot. Well, it wasn't like he did anything wrong, but I think there was a shot for him to make it to the majors like three or four weeks ago whenever Stevie Wilkerson got the call. They decided to add Stevie to the 40-man instead, I'm guessing just because it will be easier to take him off when the inevitable time came. But now that Jones is getting healthy, I'm sure Bannon will be back eventually. Leba has been brought in. Um, you know, Caden Grenier could fill the new Mason McCoy role pretty soon if he gets called up. So, no, unfortunately, I think we talked about it before the season started. He's kind of in no man's land, and the, he saw a little bit of daylight at one point, but then it kind of closed up on him. Yeah, I mean, this I, I tend to develop, like, deep attachment to some players very quickly, and McCoy is one of those many years ago when they were first drafted him, but – I, I just don't know. I don't see the path there anymore. Like you mentioned, Grenier, if he's coming up, he might surpass him. Um, Taron Vavra coming up to Norfolk as well will kind of take over that spot. So I don't know. I think it'll take a lot. Galvis getting traded. Even if Galvis does get traded, you know Michael Ice is going to be active on the waiver wire, and he's going to bring probably bring somebody else in as well. So I hope he gets an option somewhere, if it's not with the Orioles, somewhere else. But at least he is, like I just kind of mentioned, He's a better depth beast to have in Norfolk as an emergency than we've had in the past, I think. Um, but yeah, a lot of talk about the Rule Five. So uh, it's early. This is from at bgreen four eight four on Twitter. It's early, but what prospects do you see getting added to the forty man this season? And it is a very very long list. Uh, but I was kind of read off some of the names. Uh, Rule Five eligible this year in December are Brett Cumberland again. Uh, so I threw his name on there. Um, Kyle Bradish, I think for sure he gets added. Kevin Smith. I think it's safe to say he might get added. Uh, Greg Cullen, Patrick Dorian, Taryn Vavra, 
Robert Newstrom, uh, DL Hall, definitely. Uh, Blaine Knight, that's an interesting topic, I think, later on. Uh, David LeBron, uh, Tim Naughton, Adam Hall is an intriguing one for sure. Uh, and then AJ Graffinino, Adam Stauffer. We'll talk about Stauffer in a minute, though. And then some a few others, but that's a huge list. I think last year's list was big, but this year's list is going to be even bigger. Yeah, it's huge. There's going to be a lot of tough calls. And luckily, we have some people we could turn through on the 40-man right now, but there will definitely be some questionable people left off. Yeah, it's just like last year. You knew that no matter what the Orioles did, they were going to leave somebody questionable off. They left off Zach Pop, which I know we didn't necessarily see coming, but we knew that someone was going to get lost in that crunch. That's going to happen again this year. But I think for right now, it's safe to say D.L. Hall is absolutely protected. I would have uh, put solid money on that last year uh, before he dominated double A. So D.L. Hall is going to get protected. Kyle Bradis is going to get protected because he'll probably be in the major leagues before the year is over. Same for Kevin Smith, possibly. And I think Taron Vavra is definitely in that mix. Um, so I would look at those kind of being the top five guys right now. And then there's definitely, I think there's going to be more beyond that, but someone questionable is going to get left off. Yeah, for sure. I think it would probably end up being Adam Hall, to be totally honest. But uh, and depending the way he's been playing this year, it may not even be a questionable move to leave him off. Um, we'll have to see. But, yeah, I think that's all the questions we have. That was awesome. Yeah, love, awesome the, love the listener interaction. The more we get, the better. So keep it up, guys. Send them in. Yeah. Be sure to uh, tweet us at BSL on the birds, or if you're following along the live stream, whether it's on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, feel free to chime in during the show with a question, and we'll try to get to it. So we do want to turn our eyes now to the Major League roster, where a rookie has been pitching well for the Orioles amid a really bad stretch for the club, and that's Tyler Wells, who coming into tonight's game at Cleveland has not allowed a month in the, uh, a run in the month of June. Eight scoreless innings, and has not given up a walk in that stretch. One of the things you're starting to hear more speculation about is whether Wells, a former starter in the Minnesota Twins system, could be stretched out and moved to the rotation at some point, whether that's next year or maybe sometime this season. I pulled up his numbers before the show, and he has had several multi-inning relief appearances, um, including at least one three-inning outing. So the Orioles have been using him in a long relief role so far, but for a guy that is coming off Tommy John surgery, they're also going to have to show some caution. So it's a complicated discussion, but one that's still worth having, and I'll start with Nick here. Do you think that we see Wells stretched out um, and made a starter at some point uh, over the summer? It's a tough question. Um, I think we did hit this one right on the head, though. Uh, after the Rule 5 draft, we were talking about Tyler Wells and Max Roller, and all of us – I think we're much higher on Wells. Uh, maybe Max Roller, the intrigue there was probably more just he's been McDonald's nephew. Uh, but Wells is definitely, and Wells was someone that I think Twins fans were well aware of. And he could have, he should have been in the major leagues already if it wasn't for the Tommy John surgery and then 2020. So we're talking about a th- almost three year layoff for, uh, I was going to call him Alex Wells, Tyler Wells there. Um, but yeah, the numbers are good. High strikeout numbers, low walk numbers. 3.99 ERA. He is an extreme fly ball pitcher. I, I know, noted that 20, only a 25% ground ball rate. Uh, but again, less than 30 innings in nearly three years. So I won't nitpick that, but 
I thinking about it, like I think about like all the responses we get on social media whenever you see like DL Hall throw four innings or Grayson Rodriguez only throw five innings. People are frustrated with like pitch count and uh, innings limits down in the minor leagues. And I just don't share those frustrations with people. But like I, w- I also monitor like pitch counts when I play out of the park. That's why I don't play out of the park as much anymore because I will dig into it like that much. And like it's a computer game. It's okay. But I'm going to do that. Um, so I'm on the extreme end of that. And when I think about Wells, I think about that. Like keep, pitch, pitch, keep his pitch count low. Um, kind of like if it ain't broke, don't fix it with, with Tyler Wells. Um, you know, I know Brandon Hyde said there's no talk about taking Matt Harvey out of the rotation. I think that's false. He's the manager. He has to say, he has to say that. But I think you keep Wells in the bullpen. Maybe if you keep, ideally, have John Means, Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, Bruce Zimmerman and Jorge Lopez in the rotation. I love Jorge Lopez's stuff, but stop trying to make him a seven inning uh, starter. Maybe use Tyler Wells and Jorge Lopez. See if they can both go four innings. Um, You can alternate who starts. That's fine. I I don't mind. Uh, But maybe stretch him out there and then send Tyler Wells home with a starter's routine and game plan in the off season and say, all right, next year you're going to be in competition for a starting rotation. And like the point there that Simpkin makes, um, next year you can send him down to AAA if it's not working or it's working, but he needs a few tweaks. You can't do that this year. I feel like if you put him in the rotation, it's sink or swim and he's doomed if he fails, but that's just, I can be persuaded either way, but I'd say keep him in the bullpen for right now. Yeah. I don't mind the bring the Billy piggyback system to the majors between Lopez and Wells. That could be interesting, but now I think he's going to get enough innings just pitching out of relief. I think he'll start to be used more often now that he's proven to be effective and reliable a little bit. So yeah, I don't think they want to do too much with him coming off the injury and then hasn't pitched for two or three years. I think he's targeted for triple a rotation to start 2022. And then you go from there, either he proves that he can be a starter and he works his way up just like everybody else. He's still young enough to do so. Or, you know, in the back of your mind that, he's already proven he can be a valuable member out of the bullpen. So you can just transition him at any time to that. I'm kind of, I kind of agree. I think if you're going to do, if you're going to make him a starter before this season ends, you got to be creative with it a little bit and you piggyback him with someone and Jorge Lopez. I think if you're going to do it right now, that would be the perfect person to do it with. But, you know, I would expect that given that he, you know, it's coming off of Tommy John. This is his first year back since Tommy John lost all of 2020 with the pandemic that the Orioles, you know, they're not going to say this publicly, at least yet. But I can't imagine that Wells is going to be pitching in games up until the last day of the season. I have to think there is a plan right now to shut him down a little bit early, especially that innings total gets up, which, as Bob pointed out, is going to happen even if he stays in the bullpen. Um, so, you know, I would definitely proceed with caution if you are going to look at him as a starter and look at that piggyback option closely because pairing him with a Jorge Lopez or a Dean Kramer or even if it's someone who's in AAA right now later in the year I think would be the way to go if you're going to do it and then you decide whether or not he needs to go back to AAA and prepare for a starter's role or you might decide you know what this works well at the major league level don't send him back to AAA and try to fix something that isn't broken. Yep. And I was looking around as like at his baseball savant page earlier today because, again, I don't watch a whole lot of the major league products. But um, the fastball, typically with guys like this, I feel like if you look them up, you can see like, oh, the slider is just disgusting. And his is, 
uh, opponents are only hitting 115 off his slider with like a 38% whiff rate. And the changeup is his third most used pitch. That's producing a 43% whiff rate. Guys are only hitting 190 off him. And usually like you see the fastball and they're just clobbering the fastball. And that's not really the case with Tyler Wells. They're only hitting 250 off his forcing fastball. So, which is, you know, 95, yeah, just over 94 miles an hour. So, I mean, I feel like there could be something there. I think maybe, you know, rule five picks, we know they never, they hardly ever work out. And so maybe, maybe you've hit with uh, Tyler Wells. And if that's the case, like, don't throw a major wrench into it right now. Just keep doing what you're doing with him. Yeah, and he really uses his height well to get a good angle on that fastball downward. Uh, it it looks good. It's like he's got some weapons. Max Roller on their hand, other hand, like some contribute says. I'm surprised he's still with the team. To be honest with you. Yeah, it definitely has been diverse in past for those guys this year. Wells really doing well. Roller looked good out of the gate, um, but then struggled a little bit. Got hurt and has struggled since he came back. So we'll see how things go for him. But I think at the very least, it's safe to say now the Orioles see Tyler Wells as part of their plans for the rest of the season and probably even beyond that. So right now at this stage, this is looking like a good rule five pick by Michael Elias. Yeah. And like, Agreed. we don't, we don't need to compare like him and Zach pop anymore. I don't, I don't think either. Like that's, we can, that's going to be a whole nother discussion. I feel like that we don't have to get into it. The whole Zach pop thing, but like, it wasn't like one trading this. I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this. Basically Tyler Wells is good. Orioles landed a good one here in the Rule 5 pick. And he was what? He was the second pick because Soroller was the first pick, right? Correct. So that's yep. that's fantastic. Fantastic Rule 5 pick up there. Yeah, and Zach pops a scrub anyway. He's got ERA over seven. <laughs> it's just They should just send him back and we'll take care of him in the minor leagues. Well, now we're going to get into our new weekly segment on the show, and I know it's been four weeks, and I keep referring to it as new, so I promise it'll be the last time that I stop, or the last time I do it. But uh, we have a segment on the show now where we highlight a player from outside our top 30 list, give them a little bit of a shout-out. It could be for something they did in an individual game. Uh, it could be for something they've done over the last week, or maybe even the whole season, and we just haven't had much of a chance to talk about them yet. So I'm going to start off with uh, my pick for this week, which is Doran Turchin, uh, a hitter at Bowie who has put up about some of the best numbers you can over a three-game stretch uh, in the past week, hitting 364 with three home runs. Uh, he hit two home runs against Binghamton on Saturday, followed that up with a two-for-four performance against the Rumble Ponies on Sunday with a home run. So the one thing that I – this is kind of why I picked Turchin to talk about. The one thing I find – interesting about Bowie night after night is that you're in, instinctively you look at the top of that box score and in particular Rutzman and Vavra's names to see what they did there could be nights where they go a combined one for seven and Bowie still wins by you know like an eight to four margin so you're like well who who picked up the slack and you always look and it's a guy like Doran Turton who has a big night, and Turton had a couple of those over the weekend against Binghamton and was our baby bird of the day, I believe, on Saturday, correct? So that's, yep. uh, you know, he had a big weekend. I don't know, you know, what we see from him for the rest of the year, but uh, his numbers so far over 18 games this season, 271 average, 889 OPS. So he's been hitting when he's been in the lineup. It hasn't been every day, but he's been hitting and certainly had a great weekend at uh, Binghamton. Yeah, he had 
looking back at his numbers, he only had eight home runs in his first 447 pro at bats and none this season. So then he gets three home runs in two days. I think I mentioned when you know Bob and I were both ended up at games over weekends a couple weeks ago that I was in Richmond watching Bowie and Turchin was the guy who stood out other than like Adley's bomb. Like Turchin was the only other offense that Bowie had. And I, I said then that's probably the only time we'll mention his name on the podcast. And I'm glad I'm wrong because like Adley Rutschman can go 0 for 4 with two walks and that's going to be the headline uh, the next morning or all on Twitter. Adley Rutschman got on base. Adley Rutschman just walks, walk God. Uh, Turchin could go three for three <laughs> home runs and like I can put up all three home runs on a, on a tweet and it'll get like two likes. You're like, but Adley Rutschman walked twice and gets like 5,000 retweets. Not, not that extreme, but um, <laughs> getting there. But like that's that's why I think I like doing this segment because guys like Turchin get a shout out. This was he was a Big Ten bat from the University of Illinois. So I mean, when I think all of Orioles Twitter is going to be at Prince George's Stadium on Tuesday night with their gas cans. Like while you're there, show some love to Doran Turchin, not just Grayson Rodriguez. Just don't bring a Turchin to the gas can. That could be a bad result. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's really cool that he's that he's performing the way that he is. He's got a career 680 OPS for his minor league career, a bunch of innings. He had a 675 OPS with Delmarva before he was transferred to Bowie. So probably not going to last. But just like Zach Jarrett, I mean, you get put up at AAA like he has, and he's just performing, performing, performing. Then they have no choice but to keep you there. So Turchin, just keep it up. You'll be a Double A outfielder for the foreseeable future. Let's go. I'm going to go with uh, Noah DeNoyer uh, moving way down the list, going down to Delmarva. Um, so his last outing actually came Tuesday before we re-recorded last week. But uh, I forget who I picked last week, uh, but it was I, someone I couldn't pass up. Uh, but with Delmarva, I feel like we haven't really talked about their pitching staff. And they've been performing. Zach Peak looks really good down there. Brandon Young striking out a lot of guys. Shane Davis is striking a lot of guys out after a couple of rocky starts down there. But DeNoyer was a 2019 UDFA out of San Joaquin Delta College, the fighting somethings of California. I don't know. Uh, and that's not like a 2020 UDFA that like a J.D. Mundy probably would have been picked in the sixth round of the 2020 draft as a senior sign. Um, DeNoyer was picked up by the Orioles after 40 rounds of an MLB draft. And like I know guys personally who signed with teams after the, these 40-round drafts, and they were in camps for like two days before they got released. I mean, they give them like 500 bucks and then tell them to go home. Uh, DeNoyer, he's here in Delmarva. He's 3-0 and with a 2.01 ERA and 28 strikeouts and 22 innings. So um, his last outing was against Lynchburg. Five innings, uh, struck out five, only one hit, no runs. Um, he has walked 16 guys, so the walks are pretty extreme, but – I like his stuff. I like his stuff a lot. And again, UDFA coming out of nowhere, doing pretty good things in the low minors right now. This is why I love minor league baseball, right? You get these stories like this. Any, this is why you can believe anyone can make it because, yeah, obviously more, much more often than not, you don't. But there's always these stories of people who come from nowhere and, you know, tie their shoestrings really tight and they grind their way up to the major leagues and obviously he's still well away from the major leagues but he's performing really well at professional baseball in low a and hopefully he keeps up his fip is a little bit higher than his era but that's because of the walk so if he can just you know get the command under control then he's 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 golden yeah i've said before that one of the fun things about this season is getting to see the 29 draft picks 
um, on the field after we really didn't get to see much of them before the 2019 season ended. But that applies to the undrafted free agent guys, too, because the Neuer pitched in the Gulf Coast League in 2019. So this is a name that's probably, you know, pretty unfamiliar to a lot of Orioles fans. Um, his last two outings really warrant you keeping an eye on him, especially when you're looking across, you know, his season, 28 strikeouts and 22 and a third innings. He's also a good start down there. Yeah. I was, there is like nothing on him either. I was looking at him earlier in the season and Rakobako actually did write about him at one point uh, in 2019, I believe maybe after the draft. And it was like three under the radar names who were impressing in camp. I feel like those were just like all the love to rock, but I feel like those are just like three names. He was like, Hey, I have nothing to write about today. Um, give me three guys who are like throw hard in down in uh, Sarasota right now. Um, and Denora is one of them because it was just reading off like his bio, but it's something people are noticing. Certainly. Well, all right. My guy is, was on our top 30 at one point. He's not currently on ours, so it's kind of cheating, but I just feel like he's going super under the radar with the way he's performing right now. It's Adam Stauffer who I didn't even know was Rule 5 eligible after this year. I would have to imagine he might be kind of in that gray fender zone where he's too low in the minors to get picked, but maybe he'll work his way up. Anyway, he's got a 0.71 ERA over 12.2 innings with 16 strikeouts and only one walk. And he's pitching strictly out of the bullpen for Delmarva, where he had already pitched and dominated two years ago. So I'm not exactly sure what the strategy here is, but I thought he could have been a starter. But if he's going to be a bullpen, then I feel like he needs to move up to at least Aberdeen soon, or he could be that Billy Closer that they've been looking for that they're developing because the guy has just been dominant pretty much his whole minor league career, at least the last, at least in 2019 and now this year. So I'm a big Stauffer fan, and I'm glad to see him put in work and do a good job, but I want to see him challenge a little bit more. I remember that very first list that we put together back um... – in the winter of 2020 when we thought there was going to be a 2020 minor league season. And Stauffer was kind of a name that I think we thought could be someone at the back end of that top 30 that rose up the system as the season went on. Because at that point you were looking at a 21 year old going to low a coming off a pretty good season. And, you know, the limited sample size at Delmarva in 2019 suggested that he would be capable of pitching at that level over a full season in 2020. That obviously didn't happen, but, He's, you know, pretty much seems like he has not, uh, you know, lost anything with that year off. Uh, he's pitched very well. And I have to think if you're looking at bullpen arms, you're going to move up over the course of this year. You look at him, um, you know, whether or not he moves back to the rotation at some point remains to be seen. But he's certainly back on my radar a little bit. So he's having a really impressive year. And here's a stat that I like the most. One walk in 12 and two thirds innings. I have no idea what he's still doing in low A baseball right now, um, to be totally honest. just You guys mentioned the numbers. They're fantastic. They're like literally as best as you can get pretty much uh, from a reliever. And I was looking at another guy up too real quick. Leonardo Rodriguez is in the same boat, I think, in my opinion. This is another guy who's 6'7". Both Stauffer and uh, Rodriguez were in that Aberdeen or Aberdeen rotation, I think, in 2019, both six, seven, six, eight guys. Rodriguez was wild. I get it. I get why he's still down there. But Adam Stauffer, like, what are you still doing? I know it's not your fault, but like, what are the Orioles doing keeping you down in low A? Like, I don't think it's serving any purpose. Maybe there's an injury. Maybe he didn't get the work in 2020, like a lot of other guys did. We don't know what happened there, but like, this guy should be sniffing 
Bowie's bullpen right now, I think, to be totally honest. And like you mentioned, if you want to make him a starter, sure, put him back in the rotation. Let's see what he's got. There might be some spots opening up in Aberdeen. Uh, but if you're going to keep him in the bullpen, like work this guy up now because if if you do, then maybe I, I think that Gray Fenter comp is a really good one. That maybe that is a guy that says somebody says, yeah, we'll take a shot in the second or third round of the Rule Five draft, and we'll see if he sticks with us. If not, he goes back. But that could be a guy that's definitely like, could find his could be on the way out in the Rule Five draft. Yeah, so he's been off to a good start, and it's been fun to do this segment each week, and we'll continue to do it uh, throughout the season. And I know that a lot of our listeners are chomping at the bit for draft information. We promise it's coming. We're working on it. We'll have something for you here soon. Not next week, but uh, look for it maybe a little bit past that. Uh, one thing to note, two quick programming notes, one was which was already mentioned. Grayson Rodriguez will be making his first start at Prince George's Stadium on Tuesday. So check that out. And the Gulf Coast League and the Dominican Summer Leagues will both be getting started on June 28th. And um, although it's going to be a while probably before we have the rosters there, there's a lot of intriguing names that could be at those levels this year, and we may talk about that a little bit next week. Um, In the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter, at BSL on the Verge. Check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for the latest articles on the Orioles, Ravens, and more. And be sure to join the discussion board there. Uh, For 